welcome back to Scottish Educators Connect podcast. Last week, I was put under the microscope by my Scottish Educators Connect counterpart and friend, Anita. And this week, I am most certainly looking forward to being on the other side of the table again. <laughs> I couldn't agree more, James. As much as I enjoyed delving into our leadership of change um, over the last few weeks, I'm really looking forward to the range of guests that we're going to be talking to over the coming episodes. And that brings me to today's guest, one of our newest Scottish Educators Connect group members. And we are delighted this week to welcome Bernadette Cairns. Hi, Bernadette. Hello there. It's lovely to be here. Hello, Bernadette. And thank you so much for agreeing to take the time to chat with us today. I feel like that we've not had a proper conversation in quite a while, but I promise to try and stick to the script to save Anita any unnecessary (laughs) editing with my constant warbling. So I'm going to kick start with the first question. And I know you well, but for our listeners, Bernadette, could you introduce yourself? So who are you? What do you do? And what are your interests? Yeah, I've got a feeling this might be the most, um, the easiest question to answer um, on, on this podcast. So I'm Bernadette Cairns. I am the Principal Educational Psychologist in Highland Council. Um, I originally qualified some time ago now as um, a secondary teacher of maths and an ESN teacher and became an educational psychologist in 1991. Um, I've spent most of my career, almost all of my career, in fact, in Highland as a main grade psychologist and then a senior and a principal before taking a step into senior management in children's services for around eight years or so when I was the head of additional support services in Highland. And last year I returned to the role of principal psychologist and now manage educational psychologists, preschool teachers, um, preschool home visiting teachers for children with additional support needs, um, and the tier three, sorry, the tier two CAM service of primary mental health workers in Highland and a small team focused on promoting positive behaviour um, that you might have called behaviour support specialists in the past, I guess. So with that um, career lineup, it won't be a surprise to realise that my interests largely lie in the areas of additional support equality and social justice and with a real focus I guess on being solution focused and being guided by the voice of children and young people and their families and in particular trying to capture the voices of those children and young people and those families who often feel that they don't have a voice in shaping services and decision making. Thank you and as Anita said in the intro, she said that you've recently joined the Scottish Educators Connect Book Club, and hopefully this is on par with the first question in terms of ease to answer, but what piqued your interest in joining the conversation with Scottish Educators Connect? So I've um, known you, James, as you, as you know, for quite some time, <laughs> and follow you on Twitter. How could I not? Everybody does. Um <laughs> And and so from before the summer and then over the summer, I've watched the Scottish Educators Educators Connect kind of growing and and becoming more more of a voice, I think, um, across Twitter. And um, I've listened to the podcasts, but work has been pretty busy, as you might imagine. And within the psychological service, 
we have also established reading buddies. So we did that at the start of lockdown. And so I've been reading and discussing various articles and, and um, uh, various different papers over the weeks with other colleagues. And I really, to be fair, just didn't commit the time for further reading. So I've, I've looked at the books, I've watched the books that you've been reading and, and followed you on Twitter. Um, but then the topic shifted to leadership and the discussion of Michael Fullan's book, uh, Leading in a Culture of Change. And this is a book that I know very well, and so I just couldn't resist joining the discussion. <laughs> I just wanted to have part of the action. Um, and, and I have to say, I've been impressed by the commitment of uh, the folk that you've had from the very beginning and the people who have joined um, and the interest that they have in learning more and, and my learning as well with the participants. And so I think now you've got me hooked for good, I would imagine. Oh, that makes Oh, me... yes, I'm so <laughs> pleased to hear that. <laughs> that. I'm not just a one-book wonder. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Bernadette, it's so brilliant to have your knowledge and your expertise, both on the Scottish Educators Connect book group and for our listeners today on this podcast. Over the coming weeks, we are aiming to explore the theme of leadership of change through our book groups, blog posts, Twitter feed, and of course, the, this podcast. So how has having an understanding of leadership of change been critical to you in your career? Yeah, it's it's been um it's been a growing interest, I guess. And as a psychologist, I suppose I've always been interested in change. But generally, as a caseworker, that would be changing individuals, you know, how, how to get people to change their behaviours, how to do things differently. Um, and an understanding very early on in my career about how difficult that was. Um, you know, you can't just tell people and suddenly they change. That was an eye-opener to me as a, as a, a baby psychologist. <laughs> me too. <laughs> so from early on, I, I guess I... Um, invested quite a bit of time in, in training, both receiving training and, and delivering training around solution-focused approaches. That would be my, my first body into a different way of trying to create change, largely with a focus on children and young people. Um, and that's underpinned most of my work, I guess, as it gives us, I think, permission to have a range of questions that I would consider to be the right questions rather than having to have all the answers. So that was the first thing for me around um, leadership, management, change. Um, I think that that approach also allows us the freedom of not having to fix something, but to be able to be present with the other person and really listen to what they want and need and, and why. And so together then you can co-create a reality and a set of goals to work on together. So that would be my my first interest, I guess, as a psychologist was in change generally. And then I've always been interested in systems um, and, and how systems operate. And as an educational psychologist, I, I guess I, I'm always attempting to work in systems and to make systemic change, whether that's with families or schools or local authorities or, you know, the wider context um, that improves the, the, the outcomes for children and young people. Um, so systems and change have been quite critical to my career generally. And then in around 1995, I became a senior psychologist and I had to manage and lead a team of people, a team of my peers. So my interest shifted 
to supporting and, and changing adults, I guess. Um, but I was really lucky that I had had a great role model who had been my senior um, and he just got it. He taught me to notice the small things and to acknowledge the individual effort that people put in. So, for example, he put a post-it note in my tree to thank me for a quick return of something that I had given him. Um, and I noted how that made me feel. That was my introduction to understanding that leadership was about individuals and about genuine interest in valuing others and about those relationships that we know are really important. But I guess when you feel it from somebody who is your line manager, you understand how how powerful that is. Um, I guess that, you know, Simon Sinek is somebody I, I really just love watching his podcasts and, and um, uh, his YouTube videos. And he talks about once you move into a management role or a leadership role, you're not in charge, but you are responsible for the people in your charge. And that previous senior psychologist taught me the value of that, I guess. Um, so I'd read quite a lot about leadership, even by that point. Um, and that was really helpful in increasing my knowledge and uh, my understanding of systems and management of systems. And I tried to implement quite a bit of what I'd read. But early on, I realised the confusion and the complexity of this area of work. So we know that leadership, make, leadership makes a great difference and we know that it's important. But if you read anything in this area, you get quite confused, I think, quite quickly. Um, people talk about top-down leadership. People talk about bottom-up leadership. Um, is it about collective leadership or the individual? Is it about being authentic and giving of yourself? Or is it about putting people others? Um, and I think that that can become quite, quite, um, confusing sometimes. So if you do a lot of reading around, I do think that it's quite difficult to get yourself caught up in all of those contradictions. And so it wasn't long, I guess, before I realised that there wasn't one model of perfect leadership, because that's certainly what I've been striving for all my career, um, that there wasn't a set checklist of things to do that would always work. But certainly I've made lots of mistakes. Um, and that is what makes it hard. But there are key principles and aspects of working that lie at the core of good leadership. Um, and that means that you can apply those core principles to every unique individual and every unique situation. So now I try to see every situation through those core principles, I guess. And, and for me, they are around developing relationships, um, paying attention to what's working in individuals and in systems and trying to, to work with that. Um, collectively setting the standards for um, continuous service improvement and delivery because there's a management aspect in that for me and, and celebrating success. And also, um, I think what's been really important to me in my leadership journey is telling our story. So with the services that I manage, telling the story of the services, where they've come from, where I want them to go to and reinforcing the culture that's about equity and um, inclusive approaches and sustainability. And sometimes that's through through research and, and writing research papers, encouraging people to publish things that they have found. Sometimes it's through um, 
a service blog. We, we have a psychological service blog that's maintained by others within the service. Sometimes it's just writing reports and telling people what you do. And I think that all of that is quite important to keep the, the culture alive and to keep people rehearsing what the culture of a team in a service is about. I love That's a long-winded answer, isn't it, to your, your quite brief question? <laughs> no, it's a really it's a really thorough answer, but it's really good. I love Bernadette how you spoke right at the beginning of that question there about how that post-it note had made you feel, um, and how actually good leadership, effective leadership, is about caring for the people you work with. When mm-hmm. James interviewed me for the leadership podcast, I chose my two values as love and learning and over the past year and a bit I've really tried hard to instill love into everything that I do but also everything that my my team do as well and one of the things that I introduced when I started in my current position was the I spy excellent practice board and it sounds really cheesy it's just a notice board in the nursery but at the beginning of the year I would write things on post-it notes that I saw the practitioners doing and I would pop it up so that they could go and collect it at any point and take it down um, and um, unbeknownst to me at one point I, I noticed that there were post-it notes on this board that I hadn't written and the practitioners had begun to write them about each other and um, they were identifying great things that they were doing with each other. They were identifying things that they liked that I had done and it really made us feel like we were um, supporting each other but really kind of championing each other in those quiet moments in a nursery of success that quite often you feel they go unnoticed. And that's so important, isn't it? It is those small things that we do every day that builds a culture. Yeah. And if you and if you don't capture them and you don't highlight them, you miss opportunities to reinforce what our culture, what our team culture, our service culture yeah. is about. And um, but by capturing them, what you're saying to people is this is what's important. This is what we value. Yeah. Uh, and that can be effort or care and attention to other people or, or whatever it is we, we can choose to focus on the things that we want to reinforce in the, in the culture that we have yep. yeah they have a running joke in my nursery that i see everything <laughs> <laughs> it's like being a parent and having eyes in the back of your head yeah. <laughs> i first became familiar with some of Brenny Brown's work when I worked upstairs from you, Bernadette. Mm-hmm. And for our listeners, Bernadette has a famous or perhaps an infamous door and it has its very own Twitter account, um, <laughs> which we'll be sure to put in the notes for this week. Um, and that Twitter account has shared quotes that have sparked much dialogue over the years. Anyway, I promised I wouldn't digress, but I did so anyway, but it is connected. Um, (laughs) Over the last few weeks, Anita and I have reflected on Brenny Brown's work on living into our values. And Anita talked about her values of love and of learning. And last week, I talked around about the sense of belonging and of growth. So on that theme, 
if you had to choose two values that drive your leadership, what would they be and why? Mm, that's a tough one, isn't it? That is a really tough one because um, there are so really many tough. values that, that, that kind of come together. Um, I guess, though, if I had to go back, pair everything back and go back to first principles, um, I would probably choose respect and optimism. And I, I guess respect for me would be about respect for each individual, each individual, individual child, young person, um, member of the team, everybody that you come across. Um, and also, and I think that respect for, for individuals means that you you then are not judgmental. It, it, it prevents you being judgmental if, if at the core you are respectful for the individual. Um, it allows you to be, um, to empathise with them, um, not to judge them in terms of what they're bringing with them or, or how they're, they're behaving and interacting with you at that moment in time. Um, and maybe to have an understanding of, of why that might be. But I think also respect for for systems that's quite complex, um, how they work and where the power lies within them. Um, I, I, I think you have to be respectful of, of those complex systems that we all work in and understand them. Um, and I also have great respect for the knowledge creators in our world, um, in children's services in particular, the folk who who go out of their way to figure things out and give us shorthand so that we can we can be sure that what we use is evidence based, um, and some of them work with us and some of them work you know in, at, at an international level, so at all levels. Um, so I think being respectful because because of, I believe that that supports trust building in teams and drives equality and equity and acceptance of diversity for me. So that would be my first principle. Um, second value, I guess, um, I've said is optimism. Um, and sometimes that can be distilled into hope. And I don't mean hope. Hope is something which for me is quite passive and it can lead to disappointment. Um, it can be quite empty at times. But it's more the hopefulness. It's about um, looking for the good, expecting the good and better. Um, I'm a great believer in, in whatever you look for, you'll find. So if you're optimistic about individuals, if you're looking for the good in what people bring, you will find it. It might be a small germ and you might have to grow it, but it will be there. If you look for negativity all the time, that's all you'll find. Um, and it's not just about being positive all the time either. Optimism for me is about planning for the worst behind the scenes, but hoping for the best. Um, and and generally people won't disappoint. Um, so those two things for me would underpin a lot of the work that I do as, as a leader in teams. You, you know, you only have the people that you've got to work with. And if you're not optimistic about them being able to deliver a service and if you don't respect them for the service that they deliver I think that you're lost. Amazing Bernadette. Speaking of good people 
we have had many Highlanders joining our Scottish <laughs> Educators Connect since its inception in May. And one of the things that they all bang on about, <laughs> and I know that's how many of them um, had engaged with the first edition of Leading in a Culture of Change, is the Le- Leadership Development Programme Lead On. I know that mm-hmm. you've supported the work in leadership of change at local authority level. Could you tell us a little bit more about the Lead On programme that you deliver? Mm, yeah, it's a great programme. It's fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> That's only because James and I are both involved in it. <laughs> um, so it's been running in Highland for, for 10 years now. Um, well, we're on our 10th cohort anyway. Um, started by a very forward-thinking development officer called um, Terry Kerr and a quality improvement officer called Margaret Bartley, who both initiated the programme, which for many years was delivered by Chris Ward. So Chris was um, involved in much of the early leadership of change in Ontario, Canada, that was driven by Michael Poulin and Matt Miles and and Mm -hmm. other folk like that. Um, so we were really fortunate to have these people come together to create a program which has um, is largely based on Michael Fulan's book, Leading in a Culture of Change. So it, it draws a lot of the um, uh, a lot of the work from from that book. A lot of the messages from that book are um, implemented throughout the course. But it has been adapted and, and added to and changed over time to kind of try and keep it current. Um, and it's now delivered by myself, Mark Jones, who's a head teacher um, from Tain Royal Academy, and James, our very own James Cook. Um, James has brought a dimension around um, giving people um, papers and research papers on, on leadership and change on a regular basis, a real diverse range. Um, from the most simplistic to the most complicated that kind of hurts people's heads. And he's uh, known also for keeping an eye on the reflective blogs that people um, that people keep through the 15 months of the programme. The programme is delivered over 15 months deliberately so that people can engage in a change initiative in their own places of work. Um, that 15 months is punctuated by eight directly taught sessions and a session at the very end which allows people to share their change initiative and the the expectation isn't that that would be something that was started at the beginning of the course and finished and the expectation is that the initiative is something that allows you to practice the learning from the course over the course of a longer period of time and the only expectation is that it involves whatever the initiative is, it involves other people. Um, because if you're only changing yourself, of course, you're not changing anything at all. So it gives folk a chance to um, practice some of the approaches to leadership that they have learned about, even if they're not in a, in a managerial or, or a line management position, they get a chance to do that with others. We deliver the course cooperatively, again, quite deliberately. We use cooperative learning um, techniques and tools and, and approaches so even if people haven't done the Cooperative Learning Academy they get a taste of what that is and how powerful it is in the hope that they will use that in their places of work whether that's a classroom or whether they're speech therapists working with groups of people or, or delivering training 
And it also allows folk then to have a small group of individuals, their own kind of set group, if you like, that they can bounce ideas off and they can use um, to support them over the, the, the course of that 15 months. Um, and so strong are the bonds some of those people make in those small groups that they continue to support each other in their careers long after they, they complete lead on. And I think that that's why you hear from people in Highland so much about the lead on course. It's the learning, most definitely, but also it's the support that they have from their, um, their set groups and the cohort more generally uh, that, that allows them to be supported in their careers well after the course is, is finished. Sounds amazing. It sounds really beneficial. And I know that in the um, authority that I work in, we have a similar programme for those aspiring leaders in the early years. And it very much takes a cooperative, collaborative approach to developing improvement within our own settings, um, which is, is really good at putting, you know, the improvement agenda central to to um leadership practice and I find that really really beneficial um but for our penultimate discussion and throughout our conversations we have been exploring the theory of change so Bernadette what do you consider to be essential in effectively leading change Mm, and it's not obviously as we've already rehearsed it's not just telling people to change (laughs) (laughs) um I think there's a few things in there for me and and a lot of this really is, is, is drawn out of my own experience, but also the, the, the written practice, I suppose, of, of those people um, who, whose work I have read and, and the good ones, um, the folk who I learn from really have developed their own understanding of change and leadership from observing people in leadership roles, uh, you know, across the world, I guess, and, and pulling things out. So um, having a, a clear set of values and core principles, I think, is is really very important. I've said that already. I think it's essential. Um, and, and that's a bit that I, I suppose that Michael Fullen calls moral purpose, which yeah. provides the, len- the lens through which everything is seen. I think that that is so important. Um, and but it's also quite difficult because once you establish your principles and your moral purpose, you've then got to live by that. Um, and ultimately, I guess, in education, we're thinking about making lives better for children, young people and their families. That's got to be the bottom line. And, and if something doesn't meet that test, then I, I don't see the point of doing it. But because you've got to live by those values um, in order to be trusted I guess by your your team and by other people um, it becomes something that's quite difficult to do so um, lots of people will put in a mission statement for their school or or a team that they would welcome diversity or that they are very inclusive and then you see that they exclude people from discussions or or pupils are excluded from the school um, and so you've got to live by your moral purpose. And I do think that means that as a leader, you're always on, you're always on. I was going to say on call, but you're probably <laughs> just always on. Um, and you do have to watch your language and you do have to be careful of the engagement that you have with um, other other folk. Um, 
So to to effectively lead, um, you need to be quite careful, I think, about how you present yourself as well. And that can be quite challenging for some people. Um, I think you need to understand systems. If you're going to change systems, if you're going to change what's happening in people's lives, you've got to understand those systems. You've got to understand how change works and you've got to understand human behaviour. And I know a number of the books that you looked at before I joined the group, you know, we're looking at childhood trauma, looking at um, classroom practices, and they're all really important to have a good sound knowledge of human behaviour and systems. Um, if you don't have that, you can make assumptions about why people behave the way that they, they, they behave, and then your plans will be scuppered. Um, so you need to understand um, why people resist, you need to understand how to deal with that, you need to understand the system that you work in, where the power lies, and where the influencers are, they're not always the managers. Um, you need to understand that change, real change, is never ever smooth. So you will hit that implementation dip. And at that point, a lot of change initiatives are abandoned. Um, but also at that point, you need to really use the skills that you've developed in, in, in your leadership roles, you've really got to use the relationships. And, and for me, it's about having trust in the bank at those times. So you know, this is really, really hard, but if people trust you, they will go with you and they'll work through that implementation dip. If you don't have trust in the bank, if you haven't worked on trust with your team, folk will abandon you whenever things are tough. Um, and also, I think at that point, when you're in the dip, it's using the skills of other people to motivate the whole team. You don't have to do it on your own, but you can only have um, understood those skills if you've done what we talked about at the beginning. It's capturing what people do and what skills they've got um, whenever you're not in a stressful situation or you're not implementing a change. And that will allow people to get back on track. Um, I think you also need to then develop that trust and emotional and psychological safety, a whole culture of emotional and psychological safety, um, and develop your emotional literacy and encourage others to develop their own levels of emotional literacy. Um, and that's important, I guess, because if we don't practice empathy, if we don't show empathy through respectful relationships, especially working with children and young people, um, and we don't have that understanding of, of, of trauma or um, other other situations that children and families find themselves in, or if we don't understand the teenage brain, all of those things that help us understand um, development much better, then we won't be able to read people, we won't be able to build those relationships. And also, I think that developing our own emotional literacy allows us to understand our own unconscious biases. And James and I could talk forever on, about unconscious biases, I'm quite sure, but they influence us so much and we need to be aware of what they are, what our blind spots are as leaders. Otherwise, we will miss them. But other people won't miss them. They'll see them and they will not come across as being authentic. So I think that that's quite important. And finally, I think you need to understand that in any role you are, sorry, I, you see I give long, long answers for simple questions <laughs> here, but I, I guess for me, if, if you're in any role, you're only a temporary incumbent in that role. 
you know, you might start a project and someone else will need to take it over. If you leave or you might be in a managerial position or a line management position um, with strategic responsibility for something and then move to different posts and someone comes in and takes over. So leadership, I guess, should never be solely dependent on personality. You need to bring your own personality to every situation. Of course you do, but you do need to be thinking about sustaining change and sustaining the culture whenever you start something so that it can continue whenever you leave. Um, so, yeah, so I, I, the other part of that is that you can't, you can't assume that because you're in a leadership role, people will necessarily follow you. Um, you need to keep working at it. You need to keep building trust and being authentic. Um, and it's and it's hard to build that type of culture, I think, um, because every time you get a new member of staff, your team has changed. You need to renegotiate your goals, reestablish your culture, check that everybody's still on board. Um, so every meeting, every development session, I would tend to take some opportunity somehow or other to reestablish what we're about, re-establish our collective vision and build that trust, not formally, um, but just through some of the um, the smaller the smaller kind of activities that we do, just noticing and mentioning things on a fairly regular basis. Um, and, and one more thing, if I, if I may, I guess, is, is to, to check it out, you know, evaluate your effectiveness as a leader, evaluate that you have effective change. You've not just shifted around the chess pieces but you actually have made things better for children and young people and that might mean um doing surveys or asking kids how you're doing or, or what's different um having an annual questionnaire all of those things sampling a group of service users evaluating processes we need to be doing that and building that and just routinely not as something big that people get frightened about but just as a routine check to make sure that um, you are affecting change and that the change you're affecting is having a positive impact on children and young people. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I think in that as well, it's asking for all, all voices. So we talked a wee bit about understanding resistance earlier on, which is quite important for me um, to, to try and understand why people resist. But also the dissenting voices are really important if you ask the question, if you are sticking by your moral purpose, you've got to take account of all the answers that you get, the dissenting voices as well. That doesn't mean you've got to bend in the wind and do what everybody asks you to do, but you do have to take account of the positive as well as the negative feedback that you might get, because I do think that's important. I will, I will stop talking now, <laughs> honest. <laughs> Thank you so much and as ever Bernadette it's been brilliant talking to you and having had many conversations with you over the years I forever finish our conversations full of possibility or perhaps what you've talked around about in terms of leading into your values optimism for, for what's next but before we come to a close the final question is how can our listeners find out a bit more about you and the work that you do. So as you've uh, mentioned, um, my, my door does have a blog. I have a different door now, which isn't as easy to kind of post comments on, uh, but my door does have a blog. I think it's called Door Bernadette or something like that on Twitter. Uh, no, sorry, <laughs> not a blog on Twitter. 
Um, I've also got a very strange um, Twitter account, which has got a big long number after the Bernadette. Um, but I'm more of a retweeter rather than an originator of tweets, I guess. But much of the work that the psychological service does can be found on the Highland Council Psychological Service website, and it does have a blog as well. Um, so that's probably the best place to find the work of the team rather than me as an individual. Um, but but you will see me every week on uh, Scottish Educators Connect. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Bernadette, for taking the time to come and talk to us today. Um, we've thoroughly enjoyed being able to take a moment to hear about leadership of change from your perspective and hearing about your wealth of experience and learning along the way. I definitely am going to leave this conversation and just try to kind of reflect on the ways in which perhaps this week in particular, I could be better at living into my values um, next week we are going to be joined by Lindsay Watt, former Edinburgh Heaty, um, and now leadership consultant doing work with Columba 1400 and as one of the Scottish Government's International Council of Educational Advisors. I am super excited for this conversation um, and yeah, everybody be sure to tune in next week. Thank you again. And um, if you want to find out more, you can find us on scottisheducatorsconnect.com or if you search Twitter at Scott Ed Connect. Bernadette, thank you so much. And James, until next time. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Bernadette. And until next time. Bye.